Today we welcome Sophie Walker, who's the COO and co-founder at Disposal Limited. Uh, she's also the Innovation, Innovate UK Women in Innovation 2021 award winner. Join me as we ask Sophie what her, uh, innovation means to her and her business. Uh, we talk about how innovation isn't always shiny and new, her thoughts on radical innovation, and learning from our mistakes, amongst other things. Enjoy. Hello, Sophie. Welcome to the Elevate Innovation podcast. Thanks very much for joining us today. So, Sophie, as uh, we always start these conversations, what does innovation mean to you? Okay, so for me, I think innovation is about solving real problems. So, I mean, people, I think, often focus on the sort of shiny and, you know, new stuff. But I, to me, what it really should be about is solving things that need to be solved um, and so it, it doesn't always mean it's something shiny and new sometimes it's you know just changing processes or understanding problems better and being able to kind of find new ways through them um, and so yeah to me that's what innovation should be okay, about so so and is about for real, us real world problems it's not it's not on the radical end of the spectrum like the iphone was it's more like the incremental it, I, I don't know, because I think, I mean, so you could say that, the, you know, the iPhone has allowed us to do a lot of things that we weren't able to do before, um, that, you know, were things that might impede mm. the way we get around or how we communicate and things like that. So I don't, I, I think you could argue that, it, you know, the kind of the creation of a smartphone um, was solving kind of problems that existed for people. I, so I don't think it's necessarily, and I don't think solving real problems is necessarily incremental yeah. I think it can be huge monumental you know seismic changes but I think for me it's just it's innovation isn't about like I don't know um we've made another <laughs> version of a dating app like as in that that to me I mean and I know, no disrespect to people who are building dating apps go for it or whatever but to me you know meaningful innovation is about trying to tackle some of the world's yeah, biggest yeah. problems and we've got a lot of them right so let's let's use all that brain power and that kind of drive and energy to solve these issues that really need solving rather than figuring yeah. out so how to so really it's about impact for you. <laughs> yeah okay that's interesting yeah so um, i read on your i think it was on your linkedin it says you're not the ideas person uh, you're more the person who turns the idea into reality so, uh, which is really interesting because yeah. we get a mix of ideas people and sort of actioners, if you, if you will. In disposal, how do you know when <laughs> an idea is worth implementing? So, yeah, so, I mean, the, the main ideas person in our organisation is Tom, who's my co-founder and, and fiancé. And, and I think what's interesting is that, so we, we, Tom came up with the idea for disposal when we were cycle touring in North America in 2015. And we came back to the UK and we founded the company in 2016 and kind of started off on a journey but it wasn't until it was in the summer of 2017 we went full-time and in that in that time like as in since he came up with the original idea if you like the the kind of the stepping stones along the way have changed a little bit but the ultimate goal has remained exactly the same like as in what his idea for what this should be hasn't really changed and I think for us it's 
in terms of the, as an organization is anything that moves us towards that ultimate goal so any idea that kind of is a stepping stone in that direction is worth us stepping on <laughs> or building and then stepping on um, and so we we do a really wide variety of things for a really small organization but they're all in the pursuit of turning waste into resources basically so everything is to that end goal of how, how do we get people to start valuing and treating the stuff that we throw away as the valuable resources that it is and that we need to start seeing it as because you know we're way beyond living within our planetary boundaries and you know actually becoming more resource efficient you know taking these resources these finite resources and using them in the best way possible we is something we absolutely have to do if we're going to continue to survive and thrive on the planet and so everything is towards that so so we do stuff to do with compliance because it's so important to keep it in the legitimate waste industry because mm. then it's got the best chance possible of being handled well I mean it still doesn't always get handled well but it's definitely it's better than if you've given it to someone who's definitely going to just go and fly tip it and we do things around data because actually understanding the data around these materials is absolutely crucial if we're going to start treating them differently and valuing them and we do things that kind of connect people across those across those value chains across those supply chains to try to help people understand the, the perspectives from across those things because again I think connection really helps people to place themselves and to give them context and to understand then what the the meaning and the value of those things and so and understand other people's challenges and so everything is around that it's kind of so does it help us move towards that kind of more circular resource efficient economy so based yeah, on that cool, you have we'll some do it. core values <laughs> I read on your on your site which are interesting values because they're not written in the same kind of way that um, <laughs> you do often see on company websites. How do those do those values help you innovate better? Do you yeah yeah yes yeah absolutely. So Tom and I came up with those values really early on. Um, we'd we'd li listen to some podcasts about some uh, fairly big organisations that had kind of done done work on values early like so it was airbnb and it was oh, i always forget their name they're a shoe company zappos um in in america and um they have really they've got really kind of solid values basically and they both said don't just pick like integrity <laughs> like who doesn't want people with integrity of course you like it kind of goes without saying right to think of things that really matter to you as an organization and what you're trying to do and so we sat down yeah, early on, and and we spent a lot of time really thinking about them and coming up with things that really made sense to us and felt like they really that they really did help to guide us. And so, yeah, so our three values are um, uh, because there is no way because we throw things away thinking they go somewhere magical and brilliant, but they don't. There isn't an away. They go somewhere. They have to be dealt with. And there's no away for us, right? We're here on this planet. This is our home. We have to sort this out. And so then the second one is resources are limited, act like it. As a startup, that's really important in terms of resources as far as money and time and, you know, things like that go. But also other people's time and money and effort and care, like as in don't waste those things, value them, treat them appropriately. And it fits with obviously the resources bit in terms of the physical resources that we are squandering. Um, the third one is cultivate the compost, which is all about making an environment in which everybody can thrive. And so not just us as an organization, but how do we how do we make it better for our customers, for our suppliers, for the people around us, for our network? 
because if we don't all work together and all come out of this well we're not going to solve these problems we're not going to do well out of it basically so so yeah so in terms of for us and innovating and and kind of functioning as an organization if there's ever a time that we can't figure something out or there's a you know a push and pull in the organization you know something that we can't agree on we always just fall back to our values and think about what do the values kind of push us towards and and that helps us make those decisions it it genuinely does it's it's refreshing to see stuff that's not just like what you said integrity or honesty and those those kind of things that people put um but also I, i like the uh, there is no way. Like that's that's really interesting. Uh, I, I, I mean, you... <laughs> yeah, I didn't come up with that. I I heard it a few years ago, and it it honestly it was like this light bulb moment for me. I was like, oh my god, that's true. <laughs> like I'd never thought about it before, but it it really really struck me. It really resonated with me, and it's and it stuck with me. And I think yeah. it's actually really powerful when you think about it because it is something. And we don't think about it. I mean, you could use that as a, I suppose, a driving force to, well, I suppose, I don't know if it would work for you. The only way in my head right now would be you'd have to eject it into space (laughs) somehow. (laughs) No, exactly. Yeah, it's still somewhere. It's somewhere. (laughs) Wow. So um, I suppose you're just moving the problem (laughs) somewhere else. Um, Exactly. Yeah, we're good at that. We do a lot of that, right? As Absolutely. A, as a species. You mentioned impact before. Presumably, you want to make an impact on the environment, and and there's a lot of stuff going on about that in in the news and well, with COP COP twenty six and everything going on as well. Are you backed up by yeah. other organisations? Do you get Do you think you're supported, or are you kind of alone? Uh, no, I, I don't think we're alone. I think. I think we've been, um, I think we've been ahead of the game um, so far, and so it's definitely felt a bit like, especially in the early days, the stuff we were talking about and how we were talking about it, nobody else was speaking like us, and and it did feel quite lonely, and it felt like quite a kind of uphill battle in terms of trying to get people to see what we were doing and why it matters and and why our approach was important and 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 that there was value in doing it differently and not just you know it wasn't just what we were doing but it's how we were doing it and both of those things are important and people I don't think necessarily saw that to begin with I think what's what's really heartening is I've seen a big shift um in terms of the waste industry of people talking more like us now like as in talking about open data talking about the need for better transparency talking about um how tech can help with that it's not the be all and end all but you know and and how much collaboration is needed and I'm not saying that we've (laughs) we've done that but it's great to kind of see that 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 industry you know the industry has kind of has caught us up if you like and we're kind of we're seeing that that shared more shared vision more shared kind of goals in terms of what we're trying to achieve and also how we're trying to achieve it and and I think you know the fact that even though we're a really small and pretty young organization, we have an incredibly impressive network of collaborators and partners and people that want to work with us, people we have worked with. Um, and I think that's because people can see we're really genuine and that, and that you know, that we are all pulling in the same direction. And so, um, so I think, you know, I don't definitely don't feel alone anymore. I think the, the government is interesting because 
the government has such a pro-growth agenda and frankly I don't think we're going to grow ourselves out of these problems like as in we have to you know continual and forever growth is cancer right like as in it's not that's not going to solve things and we've only got like I said finite resources to deal with and so I think it's helpful in some ways and it's sort of also a bit counterintuitive I think in some ways so I mean we've we've benefited from from some Innovate UK grants which is incredibly you know useful and and has allowed us to do some really good stuff Um, and I'm really grateful for that Um, and you know we've got to work with DEFRA on a on a project um, and that was you know really great as well so as in there's definitely I think you know there's ways in which it supports and helps but I think that that kind of um continual growth narrative is okay. problematic so, and <laughs> so, uh, from so your organization's relatively small like you say how many how many people do you have we've got six members of staff at the moment so that's a small organization so because you're small does that give you kind of like that entrepreneurial ability or, or allow you to keep that entrepreneurial ability uh, more than if you say grow grew yeah I mean I, I suppose I, I've I've never worked in a really big organization um so I don't really know what that's like um and I don't I, I mean that we have sort of pretty big ambitions at disposal but I I kind of don't always really relate that to having a large organization weirdly so um so I, I I don't really know what that is like it's something that I definitely spend a lot of time thinking about is how do we maintain the culture that we've got and the, the kind of yeah the agile kind of flexible adaptable kind of and resilient and kind of resourceful um, ways in which we work at the moment as we kind of as we grow and we take more people on um I, I think I hope that our values and our culture and the fact that we're so mission driven and the fact that we take all that really seriously when we do recruitment um, will hopefully mean that we can kind of, you know, that you can coalesce around that shared vision and that shared goal and the values and that that hopefully will help us to kind of keep that, keep that kind of innovative and kind of problem solving sort of striving for that. Because I can't imagine we're going to solve all these problems that quickly, unfortunately. So I think we'll be here for a while, or I hope we'll be here for a while. Um, and yeah, I don't know. So I, it, it's a bit of an un. I don't really know the answer to it because I've, I've not experienced the other side of it. But I do think that being small and having limited resources, you know, forces a certain amount of ingenuity and creativity. That I think if you've got loads of money and loads of time you're not so sort you of driven in that same way stay within so it, looking at the sort of like the mid midterm do you have plans um that's the wrong that's the wrong way of phrasing it so looking at the mid mid to long term do you do you have like a an innovation strategy even if it's a strategy in the back of your head as a as a as a co-founder and, and leader do you kind of like think all right yeah we need to be looking at x y and z and and then that and we're going to start thinking about that now do you do that or do you just kind of like let the day day to day go go by and and 
<laughs> no, no. So it's always thinking about the big picture and the end goal. Um, and, and I think, honestly, one of Tom's remarkable skills is he's able to see the both the micro and the macro. And he can see how you connect those two. And I think that that is, a, you know, <laughs> obviously I'm totally biased, but like, I genuinely think, you know, he has a remarkable brain that not a lot of other people have in that sort of, he's got an incredible systems thinking brain where he can really understand, oh, if we're trying to get there, these are the steps we have to go through to get to get from where we are now to get to that point. And there's things that we've built right at the start, which even I was like, I don't really see the point of this, but you think it's a good idea and I trust you. So let's do it. And like, so our waste thesaurus, for example, <clears throat> Uh, so there's 842 European waste catalogue codes that you are supposed to classify your waste with. Um, and those codes have descriptions attached to them, but they're written in like not plain English and they don't really explain the thing that you are, you know, you know trying to classify on the whole. Some of them are pretty specific. Most of them are pretty broad and vague and hard to understand. And what Tom did is he he basically linked, I can't remember how many it is now, more than 20,000 keywords to those 842 EWC codes so that you can search for like sofa or F gas or hydrochloric acid and it will go these are the these <laughs> are the you still have to do a bit of work for yourself but it'll go these are the codes that you're probably looking for because it's slightly dependent on where the waste comes from well it's very dependent on where the waste comes from so he what he was like this is really important this would have helped me a lot I want to build this and it was like well I don't really see if everyone's going to want that and I don't really kind of understand how it helps us with what we're doing, but sure, go for it. It is used, honestly, in almost every country on the planet. Like 20,000 people a month come to our site wow. using our waste thesaurus, basically. Yeah. Like, and we, it's free. It's, it's the largest freely available tool of its kind. And Tom's now talking, you know, he's talking to DEFRA about how to improve class, waste classification. There's... You know, people all over the place use it. We've had PhD students come to us saying, this is incredible. Can I, you know, use it as part of my thesis and all this sort of stuff. And I think, you know, and actually now what we're finding is that it's, it's essentially it's the backbone of a load of the stuff that we've built on top of it, the software that we've built on top of it, because it allows people to quickly and easily correctly classify their waste when they're filling out their waste paperwork, which is digitized and all that sort of stuff. And you know his ability to see how that building block needed to be there is really remarkable and and so it's always you know we are yeah there's <laughs> there is so much stuff that we have on our on our horizon in terms of in our planning schedule of the things that we need to build because we're so far as an industry from having a functional digital kind of backbone through the industry and we need better open data standards we need more open data we need digital systems that talk to each other. We need people to understand that it shouldn't all be kind of siloed and legacy tech, that we need to build things where, you know, like if you think about stuff like Xero or the accounting, all the accounting software that you've got now, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it links to other things, right? As in it talks to stuff and that's what makes it so valuable and useful. It's not that you've built this enormous software that does everything for you as a business. You go, oh, I need Xero and I need this CRM package and I need that, you know, like, HR bit or time management thing or whatever and they talk yeah, yeah. to each other and that's what makes them useful and brilliant that's what we need in the industry the industry's still very focused on kind of legacy tech and like <laughs> they're just getting really excited about apps <laughs> and it's like yeah I mean they can be good but <laughs> like, 
actually there's a lot of other stuff that's needed and I think you know it's a big yeah there's just so much work to be done and so yeah we've absolutely got a ton of things that if we had more money and resources we'd do them sooner but we don't so we do them incrementally and we find people to work with who want to do these things with us and and we look for you know grant funding where we can and and because we're so we've not gone for we did a bit of friends and family investment but we've not gone for kind of proper investment and we don't want to um because we think it's too risky in terms of derailing us from our mission and so so we have to kind of live within our means and and self-fund and so far that's been working well um but it does mean it's kind of a bit slower but i think it also probably like I said, I think it forces yeah, a certain yeah. level of ingenuity and creativity in solving these problems in the best way that we can with the limited what? resources that. that we have. So, um, and it forces us to collaborate. Absolutely. So, so it it, it sounds truly like a proper entrepreneur entrepreneurial environment where you're going. I've I've got I've got it, an idea. I, this is what we're going to do. Some people think it'll work, like yourself. Perhaps Sophie, you thought that it would be tracking thing wouldn't work and uh, sorry the lookup index thesaurus thesaurus yeah wouldn't thesaurus. Work. <laughs> or maybe or maybe maybe you didn't maybe you did think it would work but you weren't sure why yeah i just i trusted tom but uh, i have no idea why but then, very fit. <laughs> i suppose it's trust so you've got a lot of trust in that so is that a cultural thing that you i suppose it's if it's your fiance it's, it's slightly different because you tend to trust the people you're very close to but there's got to be that culture, hasn't there? Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, that goes to the cultivate the compost value, right? As in, we want an environment in which people can give us their ideas, that people feel safe and nurtured and able to grow and that they can, you know, that we can try things. And if they mess up, it's fine. Like, we just learn from it, right? And and we kind of go, oh, yeah, that, that didn't work great. But now now what next? You know, how do, what, what can we take from that? to to not go through that process again, to not make that same mistake again. And and I think, you know, we've we've our team is really small, but we're incredibly close. We really care about each other. We really, you know, and I think having that sort of shared mission and vision and those sort of shared values really help to kind of make you a cohesive group. And 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 I think we all know that we're, you know, <laughs> we're working towards the same thing. We're all pulling in the same direction. So even when you know, yeah, we make some mistakes or people kind of go down the wrong track a little bit. It's fine. We just so figure it out. That, and that's interesting. Forward. So the, the, <laughs> like, there's a lot about um, failure in innovation. So you're supposed to allow for it, like what you're saying there. How do you how do you ensure that people are happy to ad, kind of admit failure within your team then? Um, so, it's, I mean, it's one of our um, interview questions that we tend to do when we interview is <laughs> what's the best mistake you've ever made? And you can tell from people's answers how they feel about making mistakes. And I mean, I have to say that like Tom and I are both, I mean, actually all of our team are people who hold ourselves to incredibly high standards and don't take making mistakes particularly well. But we know it's really important. And we know that like, if you have a like, 
you know, you've got to get it right kind of culture. People are scared. People are, you know, and being scared is not a creative or productive or nice environment to exist in. And so, you know, we just try to be really nurturing, try to be really encouraging and try to be really accepting when people mess up and just and admit our own mistakes, right? As in, so be really open about where, and I, I, I don't, I really don't like the word failure because I think there's very in my mind there's very few things that actually I would classify as failure like very very few things because to me failure signifies that there's nothing good that's come out of it and I mean I'm an eternal optimist and like so to me there's almost always going to be something good come out of it right and so so I don't use the word failure but mistakes and kind of missteps and stuff like that I just think if you can see them and go you know like treat them as the learning opportunities they are and laugh about them when they're you know when you can and yeah. um and see the positives in them you know I think then you can move forward I mean so for example like we we put all of our eggs in it so we did a we did phase one of this DEFRA smart waste tracking project in um we got it in 2018 and, and it finished in 2019 so we're really young right We'd, we launched in March 2018 and then we won this bid we wrote our own bid everyone said you'll never win that won't <laughs> happen you never win on your first one you never win if you write them yourself but we did we we're one of five companies to do it and I think we did an amazing job like as in we really really dove head on into the problem and it was all about is it feasible to create a smart waste tracking system for the UK and yeah the answer is yes it is like but you need a load of open data infrastructure to allow it and what you should do is approach it like HMRC have done with making tax digital so you don't have to use HMRC software, like you use whichever accounting yeah. software you want and they talk to HMRC like centralized, you know, infrastructure. Yeah. And so that, yeah, exactly. So that's basically, that. that's what we came up with at the end of it. We're like, that's how you'd fix it. And we went, so it was a closed competition for phase two. So it was only out of those five people who were in phase one. And, um, and phase two was like a year long, half a million pound, contract to, to then kind of build the a prototype and when we presented our phase one findings at the end it was so well received and it felt really really you know positive and when we got the the tender document we were like oh this feels like it's written for us like so much of the stuff is in the, in the language that we were using you know it's, this is brilliant and we submitted our bid and it was massive and we you know pulled all these partners together to work on it I think it was like 120 pages long in the end you know it literally took months you know of huge amounts of effort to do it and we were really convinced that we would be successful because we'd approached it in in the way that we'd approached the you know first phase we you know we kind of went back and said what you're asking for in the tender document mm. isn't possible all of those things aren't possible but we know we can do it for you by taking this approach and solving this part of the problem and then we'd move on and do the rest of it because we'd be able to get money from solving this first initial bit blah 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 we're like yes we've, you know we've smashed this we've really thought about it we've really come up with a really good plan we put it in and we didn't get it we didn't get it and honestly like tom and i were actually I heartbroken i mean like i you know felt sick like and we'd put all of our effort into it and we were thinking this is what we're going to do so we hadn't been focusing on getting other customers we hadn't been focusing on building anything else we hadn't you know like all of that stuff had gone out the window and everything we basically spent a year of our time from when we applied to phase one to when we didn't get phase two um 
just you know completely obsessed and kind of working on this and it it was incredibly hard it was really really hard but you know what I'm so glad we didn't get it actually I'm so glad we didn't get it because what it then forced us to do was to you know diversify in terms of working with other people to look to solve other problems and to continue to to work to fix this in the best way that we can working still you know giving the best giving advice to Deborah, giving them support, making connections for them. And they were like, why are you doing this? It's like, because we want to solve the problem. Like, that's what matters. So we solve the problem. I don't really care if it's us or if it's you or if it's a competitor or somebody else, but we have to solve this. And, and, and now we're in a much better place than we would have been if we'd done that. Because again, it, we would have just been completely consumed and obsessed and, you know, it, it's all we would have done. And, and then what, right? And so... So I think, you know, if you can go through something like that and it's, it's heartbreaking and horrible and it's really scary for a bit because you're like, oh my God, how are we going to survive? We haven't got any money. <laughs> we thought we were going to win this half a million quid. But if you can get through that, then it's not a failure. It's, a it's just another lesson. And it, it, it's another, you know, and then again, I think we just tried to embody that and, and lead by example for the rest of the team that, it, you know, these things are okay and that, you tried your best and you you know you've gone at it with your best intentions that's, that's all amazing can hope for and ask for and <laughs> hold your hands up and say oh gosh i made a terrible mistake that, go, okay, that is cool. that, see that's amazing because i think um from, um yes you're learning you're learning from it i think failure like i i kind of use the word failure a lot um when i'm talking to people about this stuff but I think failure is a good thing, uh, and I, like I, it's interesting talking to you. Maybe I shouldn't use it as much because it's got a very final connotation to it. But um, actually, I think failure is bit beaten out of us as, as as kids at school. Like you're not allowed to fail. You're not allowed. To, you have to get an A. You have to get a win at sports day. And if, even if you don't win, yeah. you you still get praise for whatever. I don't know. I'm not. I don't want to go go into the ins and outs of of that. But yeah. I think it is beaten out of you from a, as a child in our culture anyway. Um. So it's interesting that you are like, let's just embrace it because not a lot of people do that. And there's and like you said, I think you mentioned fear as well. You don't want people to fear or fear fear making a mistake because then I suppose people then cover stuff up and well, and you're not going to learn from them and all that kind of stuff. And you don't try new things. You don't, that's the thing. If you're scared, you'll just yeah. keep doing the same thing. You won't try anything new. And if you're trying to, if you're trying to solve problems and be innovative, you can't have a load of people who are scared about trying things. You just can't. Like you literally won't be able to do what you need to do. Like we have to be brave. We're doing, you know, we're doing, we're going into new territory that we've not been to before. It is, there is a certain level of boldness and, you know, kind of, and, and a certain appetite for risk that is needed and I think you can do those things a lot better if you are not really scared that if you make a mistake that you're going to get sacked or you're going to get shouted at you're going to get you know whatever like but that actually you'll just figure so it out I've go got a couple of questions life. from that right so first one is did what um perhaps not for the tender because I think that was probably a lot more emotional and you probably already knew how to fix that I'm guessing 
No, I wouldn't. Have, I would. I, honestly, looking back at it, I wouldn't change a thing. We were right. We were complete. Our Everything. our bid was right. We did. We did absolutely the best bid we could. And they, honestly, I think they were wrong not to go with but, us. <laughs> like, um, but grown. I'm glad they didn't go with us yeah. because we've had a good. You know, yeah, but it. it I, I honestly that it, that wasn't a mistake in that sense. It was just that our mistake was not. Our mistake was putting yeah. all our eggs and, and in so, that basket. Um, in terms of other mistakes that you've made, uh, and you don't have to give you don't have to give us examples, but did did you um, do you have like a process that you follow after something's not not worked, or is it more you just have a chat about it, or how does that work? Yeah, so I mean, yeah, previously we've been more ad hoc and just kind of talked it through. Um, we're trying to, especially as the team is growing we're trying to be a bit more to bring a bit more sort of structure and process to it so um so we're, we're doing retros now and um and we're trying you know we're doing them kind of every two weeks after a sprint and but particularly after the end of a project we're doing a proper kind of you know I'd, I mean the word I think is post-mortem but I find that really weird but anyway so we we look back because <laughs> it's assuming the things died <laughs> uh, we <laughs> We, we do a review of, of the project and what went well and what didn't go well and, you know, and, and really try to celebrate our wins and things that we, you know, kind of and acknowledge things that we've done well that we want to keep doing. But then also, you know, definitely thinking about things that maybe didn't work so well and things that maybe were a bit problematic and um, how we can go forward and, and do things differently in the future um, so that we're not just making those same mistakes again. So. Um, so yeah, so we're trying to be a bit more sort of structured about that at the moment, um, but it's still early days, if I'm honest. So <laughs> it's working Absolutely. all right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, do you ever look at other organisations and look at how they've done things and how, uh, or, or other industries, and try and map them to yours? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially early on, like I, we spent a lot of time you know listening to loads of podcasts about startups and you know reading articles and, and all that kind of thing and that I think that helped inform stuff to start with I, I do think that we've we haven't gone down that route as in in some ways I think it's helped us to realize we don't want to go down that route in that kind of typical startup you know go, go and get a load of investment and grow really quickly um, and <laughs> exit as soon as yeah. possible that's not our kind of game plan um, so I think you know I think but I think it was helpful just in terms of thinking through different processes and understanding things we might need to do or think about like the values thing you know it's, that was definitely really valuable to us um, but I think you know now it's, it's really about yes yeah, looking at industries or sectors or kind of types of organizations that are that are doing things a bit differently in terms of business and, and looking for ways um to maybe bring that into the way that we work or or thinking about how we structure things that are you know so that it's more so that you know so that so i think we do a lot of innovating in terms of the kind of the software and the tech and things like that and i think the ways in which we work are quite I mean, they're not unique or anything, but they're sort of on the more innovative side of things. But but where I'm kind of interested now is, you know, can we innovate in terms of 
business models and governance structures and and how we do that sort of thing so that so that that's aligned with our values as well because actually you know as a as a you know limited a company limited by shares you know our primary driver should be to make profit for our shareholders and whilst you know our shareholders are all our friends and family and I'd love them to do well out of what we've done or what we're doing but at the same time that just that on its own doesn't sit very well for us and it's like how can we how can we use the business as a force for good and as a way to, to you know to do more good in the world and so yeah so I mean like last early last year we founded a social enterprise um, which is your disposal because we realized a lot of what we do is not it's just sort of for the greater good it's not it's not got any profit really attached to it so we've got a, like a public facing directory of all the kind of licensed sites in in the country and people go on it mostly to look up where their local council tip is um, and we're never going to make you know and we could stick advertising all over it but that just doesn't seem right and so you know it's not a money money making kind of endeavor um and the other thing that we really realize the industry needs is a, a lot of open data infrastructure so data standards and data set open data sets and so we founded that with the idea of all the work that's like that sitting within that organization and so then it's safeguarded from like if for some reason or somehow we did get acquired or bought out or something then that's the work that's done yeah for yeah. the greater good is safeguarded in in your disposal and and you know it's got an asset lock and a profit lock and stuff on it so it, the things that are built there are for the community benefit and aren't for aren't for profit and so um I mean, but those are both, that's pretty, it's just a social enterprise. It's not not radically interesting or new in the way that it works, but it's, you know, it's so thinking about how we could maybe change that or do new things with that so that it was more, I don't know, that it just was more fit for purpose, I think would be something that would be really interesting to explore. And, and that's something that I am looking at and looking at other, the stuff around data cooperatives, the stuff around kind of, um, open data initiatives and kind of data sharing organizations and things like that and it might be that something like that makes the most sense but it's 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 a quite new things and people haven't really figured it out yet and it's sort of looking to see how those things might might fit for us and where we might be able to kind of push the boundary on that stuff I think is really um is really interesting um and I mean on a more practical level you can always learn from other industries in terms of thinking about um you know ways you could do things better like i mean my background was in food and i think there's a lot that could be learned for waste tracking from like food traceability like they're not a million miles apart and it's like so how can you take something that's well established like food traceability and the learnings from that and how could you apply that to, to something like waste tracking um wow. so yeah so we're yeah, always looking at other people to borrow. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that like you've got this, you want to make a big impact and you're doing it for the, the social good, but also trying to like mix that with you've got to earn a living, <laughs> which is like, it's really difficult to do. So in terms of that then, so what can what can we do in society or to, or to get better at our waste disposal, <laughs> if you will? What, 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 are the, what are the things, what are the key things that we need to do? I mean, I think that 
the main thing I always think of when people ask me this sort of question is like is be curious like actually you know think about what actually happens to this when I put it in the bin where does it go who who does what with it and actually you know and start asking those questions of the council or at your place of work at you know wherever it is because actually if we if we're all starting to from our perspective we've been trying to work with the waste industry for years now and um and it's been you know kind of um slow going and and hard for what the progress that we've made and it's been pretty minimal um and where i can see that we can get some real change in terms of transparency and accountability is if the market starts demanding that right as in so thinking about my food background again so food manufacturers if you supply like the major supermarkets for example the people that you are nervous about coming and auditing your factory are not the environmental health or food standards agency it's tesco or sainsbury's or morrison's or whoever they're the people you're scared of because if they come and they're not happy yeah. you're going to lose that contract and so so they can demand standards and and levels of you know kind of um quality that that in a way <laughs> the food standards authority or whatever can't can't really kind of back up in that same way and so that's what i'd like to see in the industry is that that more people got bothered about what happened to their waste and so that we saw this kind of market push to to force much better levels of transparency and accountability so that we're not ending up with stuff being shipped across the seas as recycling and ending up dumped on a turkish roadside or dumped in a malaysian jungle and that you know there's nothing wrong with exports legitimate exports are fine i'm not dissing that but like but that we're not we're not exporting Just our to get rid of it away yeah. right that we are yeah that you know fine if you've got clean lovely nice plastic to send to somewhere that else that's going to reprocess it by all means go for it but don't be sending our dump our junk like to someone else to deal with who doesn't have the capacity to deal with it and so and i think you know we're we are horrified when we see those stories but but we don't really know what to do about it and we don't really know how to kind of make any change and i think you know individually it's really hard to make a big change but if you if we all kind of actually started demanding levels of transparency from our waste supply chains i think that would help to enact change the other thing i'd say is <laughs> follow your recycling instructions like if the council tell you to just put plastic bottles in the bin just put plastic bottles in the bin don't be shoving like your yogurt pots and trays in because that doesn't mean they'll get recycled it means you've contaminated the entire load and it'll all not get recycled so rules. you know just follow the instructions they're there for a reason please abide by them if you don't like the fact they don't collect stuff by all means petition your council or something but don't just shove stuff in the bin thinking oh they'll have to recycle it so do you, do you think because there's a whole there's a big move towards esg at the moment is that something that's going to help you and your and disposal um i i hope so in the long run i think the thing is is that a lot of the time waste is boiled down to we send zero to landfill, but without any understanding of what that really means. And frankly, it's also always, always untrue. There is no company that is sending zero to landfill because probably even if you've managed to not send stuff directly to landfill, 
the bottom ash from the incinerator is probably so going to burn it instead so of it. It's just a complete fallacy, which has a different effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. what. Yeah, and I mean, again, there's a place for waste incineration, but it's certainly not the like glorious solution that it's sometimes sold as. And I think, you know, so I, I do think that ESG can help, but we need people to want to actually get to the bottom of like what is happening to this stuff where's it going and not be willing to just have like oh they sent me a report that said everything's fine so I'm just gonna go great everything's fine but actually show me the data that's backs that up show me what's actually happening to it show me what's you know what what zero to landfill actually means um and and then I'll be satisfied whereas at the moment I think a lot of the time people are kind of just happy to get a nice report that they feel good about yeah, and I think not digging so. into it. Um, so, <laughs> so conscious of time, uh, so just wrapping up, um, what top three tips would you offer to people, organisations or nations to be more innovative? I think it's different for those different things. So, I mean, I think, you know, for a person, I think it's about being bold and about really being willing to kind of dig into problems and understand them so that you're solving them for real and be willing to collaborate there I think and I think probably those last two fit for for both countries and organizations but I think for a country or organization rather than saying be bold it needs to create an environment in which people feel that they can be bold and feel that they can be brave and try things and um and and to then support them if those things don't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't come to fruition or don't work out as they expected um i mean and i think as a as a country one of the things that sort of frustrates me a bit with it like with innovate uk i think it's brilliant i think it's really good that it supports early stage r d and stuff like that but the way in which you have to create these applications is so formulaic and like you have to have a kind of a gantt chart and all these milestones and it's like we're we're researching and developing (laughs) I don't know how this is going to turn out I don't know what's going to happen and then the fact that you're then held to these milestones feels kind of really counterintuitive and I've spoken I've spoken about this with them and with DEFRA and with various other people and I don't know exactly how you solve it but but giving people space to to genuinely really go into things where they don't know where it's going to end up and supporting that I think is really important um so as a country, I think that would we be could a have a whole other podcast on the how of of, of that <laughs> potentially. <laughs> um, th- uh, Sophie, that's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your um, thoughts and ideas, and it's been really inspirational to me uh, uh, to listen to how you've gone about setting up disposal. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's been a total pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Another cracking Elevate Innovation podcast. Uh, as always, we're, we're thankful for Sophie for giving up the time to come on and talk talk about what innovation means to her. If you like what you hear, please give it a share. And I'd love to hear your feedback at Jim underscore Alcock on Twitter or uh, email me james at navigatenext.co.uk. Next week on the Elevate Innovation podcast, we have Esan Ashraf, who's an associate partner at EY. Until then, goodbye.